G'day and kia ora rugby fans, this is That Rugby Podcast, hosted by the Sports Booth. I'm your Kiwi half of this podcast, Luke, who enjoys a full trophy cabinet, running rugby, and whenever the Bledisloe comes around. With me is the Aussie mate, Husey, who loved Eddie Jones and now despises him, is used to being let down and can't actually remember what it's like to see a Bledisloe win. Tune in for 30 minutes of no-nonsense rugby chat, a bit of trans-Tasman banter, and maybe a few laughs, if you're lucky. Get yourself set and engaged as we kick off That Rugby Podcast. Six Nations is now two rounds in, and um, we have a lot to catch up on. Husey, Husey, yes. um, both of our predictions looking a little bit wayward now. Um, yes. After, I, I mean, there's still a game tonight, slash we're recording this Sunday morning, Sunday evening for you. Mm-hmm. Ireland versus Italy play tonight. Our assumption is Ireland will do the job in Dublin. Um, but yeah. let's kind of cover the first two rounds, look at kind of what we've seen. Obviously, I predicted Scotland to win. You predicted France to win, I think. I believe, if I yes, remember correctly. Yes, I believe so. I believe and I said that. I, I think I, I think I said Ireland was going to have a bit of a hangover because you know they back. They had a really great chance. They didn't quite make it. I thought France was going to come up with a bit more of a vengeance, um, and they didn't in round one. Round two, well, a different story. Yeah, round one. Let's start with round one. Um, Ireland mm. versus France was obviously the big matchup because yeah. a lot of people thought, as as a lot of Northern Hemisphere people said, it was the. The final that we never got but deserved yeah. or some shit like that. And I was like, oh, well, we see some pathetic crap like that. Yeah. You and know. I was like, we, we, we got the final we deserved. Um, but, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a cracky game. Ireland running away um, with it against France. And I think it's really interesting. This French team, after two rounds, has shown me that maybe I underrated what value DuPont had on this team. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was, they just haven't looked the same. They haven't looked nearly as attacking, nearly as special. Um, Gregory Audrett has quite clearly been the standout player for them, and then he left with what looked like to be a pretty bad injury. Look, they've still got their French flair. They managed to pull it off against Scotland in round two. But, yeah, yeah, they just haven't looked like the same team, the French, since the pontless French, should I say. Yeah, and it could be even argued that the... French didn't really pull it off against the Scottish. Uh, so obviously controversy in the in overtime uh, in that in that game. So to to break down the scenario, Scotland on France's goal line. Scotland have the ball, dive over, no try called on the field. On the field call was held up or couldn't see that there was a try. Now that I think was the correct call by Nick Berry. I don't think there's anything wrong with that call. I think he. He couldn't see it. It was, it was very difficult to see. And he referred it to the TMO. However, looking at the TMO's angles, I saw there was, I at least, in what I saw was there was the ball and there was no way it couldn't have been touching the ground. The the level that it was at with the level the camera was at, I would say with 100% certainty that ball was on the ground if I was the TMO. However, the TMO said they couldn't make that determination, which I thought was a bit soft. I thought the TMO could have made that decision um, and they said they couldn't see it clearly touching the ground, so the on-field decision had to be held up. So the procedure was followed correctly. I think their judgment was wrong, and I think that is still okay. Like I think if you're following procedure correctly, that's fine, and we we can have differences in judgment. Uh, I I 
I'm, I am a little bit critical there because you can be critical of performance without attacking someone. And I think I am critical that they, that is a try that they should have picked up. You know, I guess being a pretty neutral observer, it's a bit easier to be impartial here. Um, to me, it, it did look like it had been grounded. Um, and, and I'm the one that's picked France to win the Six Nations as well. So if, if I've got a dog in any court, uh, it, it's, a, you know, a dog in any race or whatever the phrase is, it would be for <laughs> France to win. Uh, but for me, it looked like the ball had been grounded. I thought that was relatively clear. The TMO disagreed. Result goes France's way. Yeah, look, I I agree and disagree. So I agree as with what you said, Nick Berry. You can't he, – there's no possible way he could see if that ball's grounded or not. Like, mm. And the only way you should be able to order try is if you can guarantee that the ball's touched the line. So he sends it up. I agree with your thought, like, hey, it's a judgment call. But I also think yeah. the TMO has made the right call because – you cannot one. I don't think as much as me and you probably are saying that we could one hundred percent. I think it's a ninety nine point nine 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 percent that it's touching the ground. There is that you can't see the line, you can't see the ball on the line, and you need definitive evidence to overturn it. Now, this is where my issue comes in: is the process. I I don't yeah. mind about that because it, he had even said it looks like a try, like it looks like a try, and I think he was fairly confident it was a try. But he has to overturn a decision, and that's where I don't like it. Like, why we yeah. over have to have def- if, it, if it looks like a try, it's probably a try. So why are we having to overturn a decision that, to me, like Nick Berry has made the right judgment call? But why can't you just send it up and tell me try no try? Why, as soon as he's made yeah. his decision, does it? I, I hate that. I'd send it up, try no try. You tell me you've got all the camera angles. I think if he, if that had happened, he goes that's a try, and I think that's where again. All of this controversy flows around, and we've discussed it with TMOs before, is World Rugby haven't put them in the right position. Uh, so, yeah, look, that wasn't the only rule in that game that I think World Rugby probably needs to take a serious look at. I don't know if you, because you've just seen the highlights, obviously different time zones, a bit harder for you to watch, but yeah. I don't know if you saw witness the five-minute kicking duel um, that came between Ramos and Finn Russell. No. Okay, so the rule is, the rules are currently stated that if you kick a ball, you don't have to be put on side anymore if the attacking team starts running. So say you, I kick a ball to you, you're in your own 22. Anyone between that is an offside if you start running forward. I think it's they've got to go five metres um, or a mm. couple of metres. So as soon as you start attacking them, they're now put on side. So what we had happening was Ramos kicking the ball, not chasing, Finn Rassel mm. catching the ball, not moving, and they would just stand there and look at each other. Finn Russell would take his time, sit there for about 10 seconds, then boot a ball back to Ramos, do the exact same thing. He didn't chase, and it became this kicking tennis, and it was like the the, the commentators are bewildered, but they're like, oh, why wouldn't you want to counterattack? And I'm like, these are the dumbest commentators I've heard because why would you counterattack to put people back on side? Like it's still – They're like, oh, you should want to get back to counterattack. I'm like, well, no, because – why would you put that effort to get back for them, them yeah. just to decide to kick? It was just it was it was brainless commentary and it was brainless rugby and it was like that rule needs to be changed. I think you still need to be put on side by a chaser and mm. that solves everything because at the moment with the way it is, why counterattack? There is no reason to counterattack. Like 
Yeah. If there's players that are able to just stand in the middle and they can form a line pretty much, like there's not going to be a lot of space there to counter-attack. And it just yeah. made – the second half was one of the weirdest second halves of rugby you will ever watch in rugby. If you ever wanted to watch a second half of rugby like that, go and watch that. Yeah. Northern Hemisphere rugby. <laughs> but I think I, – I, I honestly believe like South Africa will be sitting there watching that. It, it It's one of those things that Scotland were doing the right thing, taking the speed out of the game, taking the French out of mm. the game. If they had been able to capitalise, capitalise on their chances, they would have won that game. So, look, let's move on from Scotland because they've – they're currently one and one. They are. Um, I think this is. They're going to look back at that game, and I know even with the controversy, and go, "We blow it," and yeah, that could be our Six Nations chance blowing as well. So, yeah, look, there's that. England are currently two and zero, oh, which, I mean, I know they've played Italy and Wales, who we aren't expecting to do great things, and they've only yeah. just won those games, but they are still two and zero. Oh. Look, I did say that if England England could have a bit of a run this year, it seems like they've had a bit of buy into. Borthwick's messaging, um, but another curious rule in in this game um, with the rule about uh, rushing a kicker. So, and in fact, I, I had a bit of a deep dive into this one actually because I thought it was so interesting. So, scenario is this: England were there to kick um, the goal after scoring a try, um, and the the kicker, I forget who it was, he took a step to his left. And then the Welsh players immediately rushed up. But the England players stepped to himself and paused. The Welsh players were a bit confused. And the, the first one, they actually ran by the ball. But then the second one just said, no, we're in for a penny, in for a pound. It hit the ball over. And the referee allowed it. It was completely legal. And it is completely legal. And the reason it's completely legal is because of New Zealand. <laughs> so what the, the, the laws of rugby state that you can uh, run at a kicker attempting a goal, except for a penalty, I believe, with uh, as soon as the kicker makes a move to start his run-up to the ball, to start his kick of the ball. New Zealand, in 2020 or 2021, requested a clarification to the rule. I think it was 2020, requested a clarification to the rule, where when when does that movement towards the ball start? What, what if he takes another movement? What if he takes a step to the side or back? and then pause it for pretty much this exact scenario. And it, the laws were clarified that any movement counts as a startup to the run of the ball, because otherwise it puts undue pressure on the referee to determine when the kicker is going to um, start his run up to the ball. And it, be, it adds an element of judgment that just should, that doesn't need to be in the game. It adds complications to the game for fans, referees, players, commentators, etc. So the Welsh did exactly the right thing. And the English player, well, he'll learn for next time that, any movement when you're in that position counts as your run-up. And, I mean, it ended up not costing them the game, but it very well could have with how tight this game was. Yeah, totally. George Ford, um, I think it was in England, now have a... I think so as well. ...a history with uh, goal kicks. Owen Farrell clocked out and won at the World Cup, and now George Ford with this. So, yeah, look, uh, funnily enough, it was a New Zealander refereeing. So if anyone was going to get it right, it was the ones that have probably... That's exactly right. Yeah, probably exactly been looking right. into it. But, yeah, England 2-0, Wales 0-2... But minus three points differential from those two I know, games. it's really, really, you got to feel sorry for the Welsh here, um, especially someone as, of Welsh heritage like I am. You know, that last, uh, the, the desperate comeback that almost was against Scotland and then to just fall short against the hated English, it's just, it's a rough old time for them. And it's not going to get any easier because they're up against Ireland uh, this week coming. Uh, then they face France and then they get their reprieve in the last week against Italy. So they're going to go, they've got, two arguably tougher opponents in the coming weeks. 
Well, I've got to, you've got to give a lot of credit to Gats as well because mm. this is a Welsh team with a lot of no names, as as, as, yeah. as as disrespectful as that might be. A lot of no names in the world of rugby. You know, there's no bigger, there's no halfpenny, there's no Liam Williams anymore, mm. um, and they've come out and they have performed at a level that we expect from a Gatland Wales, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, that is what we expect to make it a tight tussle and. With potential to go on and win these games, yes, they've lost these two, but a, a, a pretty young squad, if I'm, I'm correct, is going to be a great learning curve. And if Gat stays there for another two, three, four years, I think this Welsh team, from what where they were last year, they're moving in such a right direction um, that Absolutely. yeah, I think I think they're heading heading the right way at least. But yeah, so look, Ireland looking like the favourites now to take it out. Yeah. Um, they win against Italy now. They'll be 2-0 with England. Obviously, the big win against France. Scotland losing to France kind of makes the path a bit easier for for the Irish um, as they'll only need to now just take out the English and the Scottish. Um, who Scottish, I know they host at home. I don't know if they play England away. but it again, is, it, the, the Ireland play England at Twickenham. They took them. So that one will be the big one for them. But again, England yeah. haven't shown me enough yet to say. No, exactly. They're yeah, they, 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 they're two and zero, but they, they should be two and zero. So they're meeting exactly. expectations at the moment. Correct. So that is the Six Nations, kind of where we're at at the moment. Um, Finn Russell's looking like the best player in the world at the moment, with the way he's playing. Um, a couple other standouts, as I said already, Gregory Aldrich has been very good. Uh, for England, uh, Tommy Freeman's had a couple of good games um, from there. Ethan Roots, former New Zealand Mouldy, was man of the match in the first game for mm. the English. Um, so, yeah, as, as some people have pointed out, there's a very New Zealand feel to this um Six Nations with James Lowe, Gibson Park, Ethan Roots, a couple others in there. But in the comments, let us know who do you think is going to win the Six Nations from here? Can Ireland hold on? Can Ireland do the Grand Slam? Um, could England pull off a stunning Grand Slam that was never expected, but mm. they deliver on Borfuck. Um Thank you for joining yeah. us on the Sports Booth, that rugby podcast. I have been Luke. That has been Husey. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Super Rugby is coming up very shortly, uh, under two weeks away now until kickoff. And there are a few teams out there on both sides of the Tasman that bear watching. For me, the team that I have got my eye on this year for a multitude of reasons, and I think Super Rugby will have its eye on for a multitude of reasons, is the Melbourne Rebels, a team laden with talent who's getting some good results now, but the financial floor has fallen out beneath them. They've been put into administration Players' contracts will be honoured for this year, but beyond that, there is no certainty. They find themselves in quite a large amount of financial debt, and it doesn't look like a uh, lifeline is going to be thrown to them. What could change their fortunes is if they have a successful year on the field. That could be really something where they could find an investor or where Rugby Australia says, okay, you're proving yourselves to be one of our franchises that we need to have, um, so we'll we'll find some money for you. Personally, I think they they should find the money for the Melbourne Rebels because Melbourne is such a breeding ground for talent and it is a big sports market. I think the Rebels are being punished for Rugby Australia dropping the ball before now and they're the, the fall team um, for it. So I've got my eye on the Melbourne Rebels. I think they're going to have a good year on the field um, unless off-the-field issues impact that. However, I still think that I, – I, I reckon they'll have a good on-the-field year.
Yeah, look, they, they've made some fantastic signings, but as you say, it's very much a do or die year for the Rebels, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, if they can deliver some sort of result, make the finals, then yeah, you could make an argument there. Um, if mm. you can't, then then yeah. But I think it's going to take something special to, to save them from where they are. Um, if Rugby Australia and, and people weren't already talking about culling a super rugby team, which I wouldn't have been surprised yeah. if they weren't thinking about it, this has given them an excuse to, to kind of deliver on it. Um, well, with, have, you, have you heard about what one of the proposals has been that was turned down? Yes, and I like the idea of the proposal. Run us through it, Hughie. So the proposal would be a merger of Moana Pacifica and the Melbourne Rebels. I'm not necessarily opposed to this. It is a consolidation because I don't think I think if you're going to have a Moana Pacifica side, you need to have one that's regularly playing games in those Pacific Islands. I don't think the team's there yet, unlike the Fiji and Dura. And I think if it's a way to get the Rebels to survive, and they would become known as the Rebels Pacifica, I think that would be pretty good. I think it that eases some of the financial burden. Um, and yeah, rather than just cutting a team, merging teams is a better look overall. I think. I think it. I think it is a positive option and way out. I'd rather that than a team just being flat out dropped. A hundred percent. And what I make of it is, a I've spoken on this. Moana Pacifica lack an identity in New Zealand because hmm. we just don't have enough people and enough support as it is to add this other team here. So, as you said, if it was a Melbourne-based Pacific team, where, as you we saw with the Dura, who are based out of Queensland as well, play some games out of Queensland, but I think eventually they're going to end up playing all their games in Fiji with the way the, mm. the world's working, with, with the way the rugby's working over there, with the way they're performing, I think they end up playing a lot of their games over there. I think that this could work. Melbourne-based and play two or three games a year, home games a year in Samoa, Tonga, um, anywhere else over there. Um, yeah. But what, what was big on this, and, and I'm surprised, again, it hasn't got more traction, and I think New Zealand rugby probably will be more interested in the traction. Now, 65% of rugby participants in Melbourne are Pacific um, of yep. origin. So it's not like there's not the audience there for it. There's the identity exactly. there. And mm. it's the same thing. The Rebels don't have an identity at the moment. They've, they've just brought in, you know, Tanao Tupo. Massive. Imagine yeah. if you put that name. Their captain's Rob Liotta. Again, Pacifica background, Pacifica players. Rob Malatini, the, uh, the newly crowned John Eels medalist, is from Melbourne. Exactly. Again, so so it, it makes a lot of sense in my mind. And I think it gets some traction with the idea mm. of World Rugby goes, we'll help you to add a US team or we do add a Japanese-based team. Um, yeah it starts to make a lot more sense how it all works. Again, I'm not, not 100% sure, but, yeah, again, Rebels do or die season for them. For, I guess, your Tars, my friend, as well, Darren Coleman in a sticky situation. There's rumours yeah. flying around. He's got four games to prove himself. Hasn't had a couple of good pre-season showings. Just got thumped yeah, by hard, the Reds. Hard, yeah, hard to put much stock in pre-season, but I am, as a Waratahs fan, concerned. Uh, about this um it's yeah it's really wild that you know he had a great opening season but then hasn't been able to produce much beyond that and you look at his resume he's a winning coach so yeah i i feel like a little bit with the waratahs uh sometimes the 
I guess the talent in the forwards isn't there and hasn't been prioritized as much. And you can see that with the signing of or the re-signing of Andrew Kellaway. It's like where we are our backs, we've got a decent amount of depth there. Where we need help really is in the forwards. And I haven't seen too much positive signing news in that direction, which is what concerns me really. Um, like that's where the Waratahs have been let down before. You you know, you've lost Hooper, you've got a fantastic gun prop there in Angus Bell. Um, you've got Parecki there as well, who's fantastic. Hol- Jed Holloway, you know, you've got some good pieces there, but I feel like it's the depth more than anything that is challenging for the Waratahs. Um, so I am concerned with this season for the for the Waratahs. Um, I, I think they will finish below the Rebels based on just these these first few trial games that we've seen. I don't. I I think that it'll be, and I think the Rebels probably will have a little bit more hunger this season as well. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I I will get into our predictions soon about standings. I still think this Waratahs team is better than the performances we put out. And again, preseason you can learn a lot more. The points don't matter in preseason. So, yeah. um, as as my hurricane showed by getting fun pie, the Highlanders points don't matter in preseason. But um, yeah. look, yeah. So look, it's going to be an interesting year. Let's run through kind of our predictions, and we'll kind of. Stick out with a couple of players to watch, mm. um, see who we see could light up the competition this year. I will go first. So in first, I believe will be the Chiefs. I think they go back to back. At, this isn't. We're not deciding winners yet. We're just deciding the yeah. table. So the one to twelve at the end of the season. I think the Chiefs are in a really good position. I think the Chiefs look fantastic. So I've gone them one. I've then gone the Blues two. Yeah. I've then gone the Hurricanes three. Mm-hmm. I've then gone the Judah four. Wow. Okay. I've gone Rebels five. Yeah. Crusaders six. That's a that's a that is a hefty step down for the Crusaders. I just don't think without Razor, without Richie Monger, I don't think they're going to be as. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll still make the finals, and I think they could go on a run in the finals. I think this is going to be a down year for them. Seventh. Um, I've got the Reds. No, sorry, seventh. I've got the Brumbies. Yeah. Eighth, I've got the Western Force. Ninth, I've got the Reds. Tenth, I've got the Tars. Eleventh, I've got the Highlanders. Twelfth, I've got Moana Pacifica. Yeah. Okay. That's a. That's a. I've just typed out your list so I can. I can see it here. Okay. So Chiefs, Blues, Hurricanes, Dura are your top four. Rebels, Crusaders, Brumbies, Force are the rest of the top eight, and then Reds, Tars, Highlanders, Moana, Pacifica. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a good list. It's a good list. I don't. I think I I have some notes though. Chiefs, Blues, and Hurricanes. I agree with you. I think will be the top three. Dura at four for me is a little ambitious. I don't know if they can crack the top four, and I think that. Um, the you, you have to remember as well that there are certain teams that play each other more often than than others as well, and I think that favours the Australian teams somewhat in terms of the end of the season standing. So I'm put, putting the Brumbies at four. Uh-huh. Um, putting the Brumbies at four, then I'm putting the Crusaders, then I'm putting the Dura, then I'm putting the Rebels. Um, so that's my seven, and then I would probably put the Reds over the Force. Then I would have the Force, then the Tars, then the Highlanders, then Moana Pacifica. So. To run you through my list, it would be Chiefs 1, Blues 2, Hurricanes 3 in alignment so far. Brumbies 4, Crusaders 5, Dura 6, Rebels 7, Reds 8, Force 9, 
Tars 10, Highlanders 11, Moana Pacifica 12. Yeah, look, interesting, very interesting. And I, I'm i not, again, too far away from, from where you are. I think we've got a very similar top eight. Um, look, there's two teams that I jump out at me that go, they could do, like we had the Chiefs, I think, last year rank pretty low, both of us, like 6th, mm. 7th. I think Highlanders and Waratahs are the two that jump out at me on both of our lists where if the Waratahs get on a good run early, they could beat those Australian rugby teams. Yeah. And as you said, that's that makes half of the point. Um, and so that's probably why I, I I could interchange them with the Brumbies. I don't see the Brumbies doing as well this year. Again, they've had got their own financial issues that they're battling with. Yeah. Um, I think they've lost Nick White. They've lost a couple of key playmakers there. I think the force could jump up higher. Um, I've got them making the eight, but I think with the signings they made, yeah. there's force, potential force could there. be yeah. Force could definitely do some damage. See if their if their signings come through for them, they could definitely be a a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> and then, as we said, the, the rebels, as much as we both want to see them succeed, they mm. could struggle just off the field. Could just take over what they're trying to do on the field. So look, exactly. and again, Moana Pacifica. It's not. I think they still win some games this year. I just. I can't mm. see them improving enough again to go higher than 12th or yeah. 11th. Like they're going to be a bottom dweller yet again. And yeah. again, this will start to open up those questions is Rebels Pacifica the right right way to go? A couple of players I just want to keep our eyes on, my eyes on, your eyes on. Damien McKenzie, mm-hmm. we've both named the Chiefs to win it. I think, again, he had a great year last year, was our MVP. Yeah. I imagine he's going to be pushing the same, same boat uh, this year. Maxi Jorgensen is another one. I know you'll have your eyes closely on him. Yeah. He's recently come out and said he wants to re-sign Rugby Australia, stay in rugby, which is fantastic news for the uh, Wallabies. Um, can he take a step up and, and go through? Another Aussie who has looked fantastic in the trials, Hunter Baisami, who kind of fell away towards Eddie Jones' reign in um, the Wallabies in, in the green and gold. He'll be looking to have a big year, is looking mm. very good. And the last one um, is Peter Larkai, Adi Savia 2.0. Is uh, for the Hurricanes. Watch out for him if he gets a good showing for the Canes. He will do a lot of damage. Uh, yeah, I guess for for me, yeah, definitely. York Maxi J is the is the player I've got my eye on this year for the for the Waratahs. Um, I think the whoever the Brumbies ten is is going to be really interesting. Is Noah going to reclaim his ten spot, or is it going to be Jack Deprasini? I think that's gonna that's gonna be a really interesting way to see how Larkham uh, plays that. And then for me, one of the I think the Reds are the most interesting team this year because it's the first year without Brad Thorne. Les Kisses come in. Um, you know, there's still a lot of talent up there at in Queensland, um, and I think they may be flying under the radar a bit. So I know I'm primarily Australian based on my views there, but you know I am Australian, so. Makes it. Um, two former All Blacks signed to the Reds as well in the front row with Jeffrey Tulmunga Allen and mm. Alex Hodgman. So we'll be interesting to see how they kick on. Let us know in the comments who you think is going to take out Super Rugby this year. Finish on the table. Do you reckon our predictions are right? Obviously they are. It's just um, what one of us is right. Um, mm. But for now, thank you for joining us on That Rugby Podcast has been The Sports Booth. We will talk to you later. Goodbye. Peace. Could a Club Rugby World Cup work? That is the question on our mind. Husey, the Crusaders have just gone overseas. They've done a pre-season tour playing Munster and Bristol Bears. The Chiefs and the Blues have headed over to Japan, played a couple of teams over there, have 
seen really good results with crowd numbers and I think the results themselves have been really good. The Crusaders, first of all, played Munster in front of 40,000 mm. fans in Ireland, um, which is huge, a, a massive game. Yeah. Again, we don't we struggle to get 40,000 for a Super Rugby game, even maybe a Super Rugby final. So that's yeah. a massive attendance for a preseason game with not the full names on show. Then you've got um, them playing Bristol uh, just this weekend gone. And again, Munster beating the Crusaders as well. And this is during a Six Nations period where... Yeah, they're missing their players as well. Then you've got Bristol hosting the uh, Crusaders again. Six Nations period, English players missing, also an English game on, but eighteen thousand turned out in a capacity of twenty seven thousand in the stadium. So there is definitely some attraction to cross code. Um, same with the Japanese. I think the um, teams and the games were very successful over there. Don't quite know what the crowd numbers were yeah. in those games, but it's all looking really good for club rugby. As a whole, well, the, the, the Rebels also toured Japan in 2023. Um, you know, in sort of the international period. So again, wasn't a full force Melbourne Rebels team, but positively received as well from from everything that I've seen. Uh, yeah, I think it is a really great initiative. You know, I think it is a good way to spread fandom of Super Rugby. You know, if you can get Japanese media money involved in Super Rugby, that's all all to the better. So yeah, I think there's look that that's the the you need to get you need you need to get more money flowing into super rugby and i think that's you need to get fans interested in super rugby again or more interested in super rugby and you've totally. got to find ways to get to generate that interest in these sort of international clashes are great ways to get people interested it feels like the golden ticket to me is okay first of all what rugby needs to do is sort out its rugby calendar and go this is what we're mm. going to do because there's an opportunity for it but in a champions league like asia pacific rugby you know, Super Rugby against the Japanese top team as a yeah. European Champions Cup type tournament, I think is 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 the next step for Super Rugby yeah. and Global Rugby to be doing that in those midweek games and stuff like that, having having that set up. Then I think we can start to discuss a club rugby world cup, a club world cup. Um I don't know how it works, I don't know the feasibility, I know it's been discussed before, but I think from the results that I've seen of just these two games, I think there is. I think if a Munster team travelled here, I think more people mm. would go out. It's those, you know, those one-off affairs, those, you know, yeah. those moments. It's the same like if you brought a South African Super Rugby team to tour New Zealand now, I think it would pop off just because people want to go yeah. and see those games that they haven't seen for four years. Again, Super Rugby is that constant product, and you get it like a. It's like a, um, a English Premier League game. Again, they sell out a lot more, but again, you'll have empty seats every so often. And then if you're in an FA Cup quarter final, or if it's a Champions League game with a big team coming in, all of a sudden mm. people are there. If if you know you've got a Cristiano Ronaldo coming, there's all of a sudden people are in the stands and are interested. So I think there's there's definitely potential for it, and I see rugby moving in this direction. If to, you need to give fans an opportunity to attend games where their team are playing in games with weight and importance, like something different from just a regular season game, you know. So if, say like an FA Cup or like a. a Champions Cup style thing. Say so had a group stage, your team would host a game there that is of importance. They need to win that game to advance to the next stage type thing. So, I think yeah, it's it. You need the fans will show up more for games of importance than just a regular season game. Um, the the we went to the Brumbies and Waratahs opening 
game last year because it was hyped up a lot by Eddie Jones. Like they, they put a lot of importance into that game of, you know, we want to really get great numbers down here to the new opening stadium, new season, new Wallabies coach, yada, yada, yada. They really talked up and made it an important game. And it was a great, it was a cracking game as well. So you just need to, you, you need to add weight to it. It can't just be expecting fans to just show up to just another game. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing like the weight here didn't come from the importance of the game it's a pre-season fixture with not big stars the weight came from the fact that these two teams haven't played ever before or haven't played yeah. for a very long time it's something different um it's a sprinkle of that like again i think this would happen i just think the rugby calendar's got to be fixed that's that's the big thing in my and, mind and i think as well you i think it, this would probably lend some weight to our one of our proposed fixes for super rugby which is to divide it into Australian New Zealand conferences specifically for during the regular season. And then your post season is where you get those then cross Tasman matchups. And it's, and then you could even have maybe during the season, um, you have the, a tournament that runs that there is those cross Tasman games. So, you know, you are more likely than like in New Zealand, in New Zealand rugby, you, you said before, not many people really go out when it's a New Zealand team versus Australia team, right? But it's the, it's a relatively common affair. If you make those rarer, people will go to them more because they are, you know, rarer. They're, you're less likely to see it. It's less available. You know, you're restricting the supply and it, it's thus inflating the demand. Totally. And and that's it's a big thing for me is looking at it like I've got, as a Hurricanes fan now, a game circled on my calendar and that's a Brumbies game. And mm-hmm. that's purely come from the finals matchups that we've had. It hasn't come from even our regular seasons ones have been good, but it's been the past few years we've seemed to match each other in the finals every so often. And yeah, I just think yeah, like like what we pitched is hey, you have your two your conference games where you play everyone twice twice in your conference. That's eight games there. You have two Super Rugby rounds, one in Australia, one in New Zealand, where you play off, and then you can have a final series from there. Again, mm. it's a shortened season. And TV monies and stuff like that, but again, if if you can do it like that, or even if you make it a fourteen week season or something like that, again, I look back and I go, Super Twelve was you just played everyone once; it's an eleven week season. So mm. you know, if you play everyone twice here, that's eight games, and you have those two super rounds, that's ten weeks. Maybe you chuck in one extra week of a international crossover game where you host or they host. Um, on the calendar, you get to twelve games in a round or eleven games in a round uh, in a in a season, and then you go finals. Yeah. It just it makes a lot more sense to me, and it's bang and done. Um, but again, yeah. we're, we're not we're not the head honchos, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we, but maybe what we you can't be. do is keep. Is, yeah, what they can't do is keep going down the same path they've been going down because it's not working. Yeah. That's why the Melbourne Rebels are in administration. It's why other Super Rugby teams are in financial difficulties. It's not working. Something needs to change, and it's yeah. better to have something different than to to cull teams it's better to try something else i i totally agree and i and i look at it and i go the npc which is you know our provincial competition for for rugby below super rugby the wellington lions have just moved uh, their home from westpac stadium out to north or jerry collins stadium because they just aren't getting the attendance and their cost to to host mm. a game at westpac stadium to for only a thousand odd people when it's a thirty thousand seat it doesn't make any sense and that's 
Again, yeah. it's a big change because history is there, but it's one of those ones that's a necessary change. Like we need to understand Absolutely. what what is, and this is what I would love to know, and I I'm, I would hope that Super Rugby have this information. What's our target audience? What's our target market? What are the people mm. we're going after? And then from there, how do we work on growing that? And again, I think the growth comes from an Asian Pacific competition, which is mm. again during that competition. I think you put in a midweek, and again, it might not, it might, it might not have the same importance. But it's that, even if it's not as important on your schedule, like you're not like, oh man, we want to win this game. Yeah. You're seeing something new. It's a different thing. Um, every mm. year if you've made it if you've qualified for it um, and I just like that idea and then that can build to a Club World Cup but if, if, yeah. if World Rugby can sort out their calendar I think that would be the, the start and then you could easily build off that but I think we've also got too many old heads in there and they'll just chuck a Club Rugby World Cup somewhere in the middle of the season and say yeah teams now have to fit this in as well and it'll um, yeah. it'll make the money it'll probably work quite well but um, I don't think for the longevity of our sport it's the right move Hundred percent. What are your thoughts on a club rugby world cup? What are your thoughts on you know an Asia Pacific? What are your thoughts on growing Super Rugby as we've discussed on this one? Um, but now I've been Luke from that rugby podcast. That has been Husey. We are the Sports Booth. We will catch you next time. See you later. Peace.